This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good afternoon and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Caffeinated coffee and tea are the most consumed socially accepted stimulants in the world, and close to 90% of adults consume caffeine daily. Coffee and tea contain nutrients that may be beneficial or harmful, including caffeine and antioxidants. First, we'll hear today about the latest research findings about coffee, then we'll spend a little time talking about dry January. Our guest today is Dr. Donald Hensrud from the Mayo Clinic. He's an associate professor of both nutrition and preventive medicine and has done extensive research in obesity, nutrition and disease prevention, physical activity and health promotion, and clinical preventive medicine. Welcome, Don. Happy to be here, Marianne. Thank you very much. Well, I love the way um, uh, we chatted the other day. I learned so much from listening to you. Can we spend a little time on the history of coffee? Absolutely. Absolutely. Coffee seemed to originate in the Middle East and then spread throughout the world. Roasting and grinding started in the 16th century. Early on, people just consumed the entire uh, coffee fruit. Filtering started in France in the early 18th century. And of course, people in the United States uh, came predominantly from England in the 1700s or so. And so we were drinking a lot of tea. In the War of 1812, tea imports were cut off. And that's when we started to drink more coffee in the United States. We're kind of middle of the road in the United States now in coffee consumption. Uh, the Scandinavian countries drink a lot of coffee, as do other countries in Europe. And the type of coffee that people drink can vary depending on the location either. Uh, we have a lot of coffee uh, uh, shops in the United States that have spread around the world. And so even in the U.S., the type of coffee has changed over the years. Well, when you say there are a lot of coffee shops, there's something comforting about coffee as well. It, it, it overrides just the taste and the perk. Um, it's that culture. So I, I'm interested when you say that coffee beans are actually contained inside a fruit. I didn't think about that before we chatted the other day. Yeah, they're, they're grown and they have a fruit that starts out green on the outside. The bean is actually inside that uh, outer coating of fruit. Uh, when they become ripe, they turn red and that's when they're picked. 
And then they have to undergo processing to extract the, the coffee. It's a, a whole uh, series of processes. Pulping removes the green from the red cherries. Fermentation remove, removes the uh, mucilage in the cherry from the bean. And then the beans undergo drying, roasting, grinding, of course, and then brewing. Uh, and there's another process, too, to make decaf coffee within these this uh series of processes. There are a couple different types of coffee around. Uh, Arabica is the main one that we consume. It's a higher quality coffee, about 80% of the world production. And then uh, Robusta or Canifora has uh, a lesser production around the world. And that it, that also brings up, uh, when we talk about around the world, let's hear about the most expensive coffee in the world. I think that's pretty fascinating too. <laughs> It's interesting. When coffee first started uh, being grown, countries in Europe would start to grow it either in the Caribbean or in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. And when they were growing it in Indonesia, there's a, a, a member of the cat family there, the Asian palm civet. And people discovered that this cat, this Asian palm civet, was actually eating the coffee beans for its own nut nutrition. Mm -hmm. But it wouldn't consume, it would eat the fruit, the fruit. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. not the beans. They would digest the fruit, but the beans would pass through the intestines of this Asian palm civet. The people who were working in the plantations at that time couldn't afford the coffee that they were picking. So they started using <laughs> these coffee beans that went through the digestive system of the Asian palm civet. When it does that, there are gastric enzymes and, and uh, in the intestine that change the flavor a little bit. Some people say it might even be a little bit better. There's also some oil glands that may contribute to the flavor. So this has evolved into a desirable, among some people, and very expensive coffee. It may go from $100 to $500 a pound, uh, $10, $25 a cup. So it's, it uh, has kind of a, a little bit of a cult following. One caveat I'd say about this coffee is that like many things, they, uh, it's hard to get these uh, beans in the wild from the Asian palm civet. You have to hunt them down and, and find their excrement. So they have started putting them in farms and some of the farms don't treat the, the Asian palm civets very humanely. So just be aware of that uh, when people are looking for this uh, most expensive coffee in the world. I was going to say, it speaks very highly of recycling, but as you say, uh, <laughs> probably not too kind to the poor little animals. So we talk about the components that are considered beneficial to health. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, obviously the most uh, widely known component of coffee is caffeine. And when we're talking about this, we need to separate out the effects of caffeine from the effects of coffee, uh, both decaf and coffee that contains caffeine, because uh, caffeine is responsible for a lot of effects, but there are literally hundreds of compounds in coffee. Among people cons that consume coffee, it's the largest source of antioxidants, mm -hmm. and it has uh, different other components. There are uh, um, Cafestol and kaolol or diterpenes or phenolic compounds are in coffee as well. There's micronutrients. Cafestol and kaolol, uh, these diterpenes, they can raise cholesterol a little bit. And we'll, we can talk about that in a, in a little while too. Uh, it's removed by filtering, interestingly, these compounds. So filtered coffee doesn't raise cholesterol levels. Coffee that is uh, French press uh, or boiled coffee, as they make in Scandinavian countries, do seem to raise LDL cholesterol, perhaps up to 20 milligrams per deciliter. So it, it does have a little bit of an effect. 
But there are many, many uh, antioxidants in coffee and many different components, the sum of which contribute to some of the different health effects uh, and side effects of coffee as well. Mm -hmm. So if we focus on caffeine for a moment, um, what would you say is a safe level of intake on a daily basis for a typical coffee drinker? Uh, it's a great question because you can come up with a number and many people will say, well, first of all, the ca caffeine content varies among different beverages. Coffee, you mm -hmm. can round, uh, round it up or so around it to about 100 milligrams of caffeine in a cup of regular coffee. What's interesting is that for some reasons that I don't quite understand, I'm not sure about this, coffee shops may have more caffeine. Anybody uh, who may have noticed this uh, can attest to this, that sometimes coffee shops have more caffeine. Tea varies. Black tea is about half of what coffee contains, maybe 50 mm. milligrams per eight ounce cup. Green tea, about 25 milligrams, so about a fourth of uh, what a cup of coffee contains. And some people think green tea doesn't contain caffeine, but it does contain a little bit. There are other substances that have coffee in them or have caffeine in them. Chocolate, for example. Uh, there are energy drinks, soft drinks, and they contribute to our total caffeine intake. The average intake of caffeine among people who consume coffee is about 193 milligrams or 190 milligrams or so. In the entire population, the intake of among people who drink and don't drink coffee is about 125 milligrams or so. But the amount, in answer to your original question, the amount that people should probably try and limit of caffeine is about 400 milligrams a day or about four cups of coffee. Now, the wild card in this is that we metabolize caffeine differently based on a genetic basis of a certain enzyme, the CYP1A2 enzyme, which also metabolizes some drugs. The half-life of coffee is about two and a half to four and a half hours, but in people who are slow metabolizers, they may keep mm -hmm. it around quite a while, and they may be more susceptible to the side effects of coffee. That explains why my wife, who is probably a fast metabolizer, she can have a cup of coffee uh, before she goes to sleep at night. And if I have a cup late afternoon, I'm up that night. So it, it varies right. widely. And uh, we'll talk about this more later, but the side effects are probably what should limit coffee consumption. An exception to how much uh, caffeine people should consume, the five, 400 milligrams a day or so, are women who are pregnant or considering pregnancy. And the uh, pregnancy slows down the metabolism of coffee, as does cigarette smoking, by the way. But because it slows down the metabolism, uh, women who are pregnant may have a little bit higher levels. Mm. They should keep their intake of caffeine at under 200 milligrams per day. I'm glad you brought that up because I remember reading that cigarette smoking increases caffeine clearance. So cigarette smoking, all these things that we don't think about, but pregnancy, you're, you have to think for two people. And it's so important that you, um, th that you mentioned that for people who are thinking of uh, hoping to have a baby in the near future or are pregnant now. So I want to spend a couple minutes if, if you think it's a good emphasis. What's the process for decaffeinating coffee? So there are a couple different processes. And the way this was discovered, interestingly, was uh, there was a... Um, a shipwreck or where some coffee was diluted years and years ago, it was soaked in water and they noted that the caffeine content in the beans was uh, much, much less. And so 
there are three different processes. They all involve soaking in water first, which uh, leaches out the caffeine and other compounds. And then there are three different ways of making the, the decaf coffee uh, beans. One is extract the caffeine with a solvent. Another is strain it through activated carbon. And another one is CO2, carbon dioxide, under pressure. Each of those removes the caffeine. The beans can maintain, uh, absorb the nutrients, the other nutrients in the, the water that's left over. And what you're left with is decaffeinated coffee beans. Interesting. So probably 97% or thereabout is removed? Yeah. And that's a good mm -hmm. point that not all the caffeine is removed. So even decaf coffee may have a few milligrams, you know, maybe two to 15 milligrams or something like that of, of caffeine. So people who are extremely sensitive may notice this. Mm -hmm. That's why I wonder, because I know we will um, advise patients who are lactose intolerant, try, you know, get lactose free milk, but it's not 100% free of lactose. And I wondered what your comments would be about that, that if there are a few percentage points um, measurable, is it measurable or not? And you answered that exactly. Let's take a little break. And when we come back, we'll learn about the effects of coffee on various conditions. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like, how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to healthcare. Learn how we are working to make healthcare more equitable at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. We're back on your radio doctor. I'm Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie, thrilled to have the company of Dr. Donald Hensrod from the Mayo Clinic. Don, we're talking about really fascinating information about coffee and caffeine. Caffeine's a component of coffee, but there are other components in coffee that you're teaching us about. Let's talk about the effect of coffee on various conditions such as our glucose metabolism. Can we start there? Yeah, and that is a good place to start because uh, it's very interesting. Uh, caffeine will impair glucose tolerance a little bit. In other words, it will raise blood sugar acutely. It also decreases insulin sensitivity. So when people consume just pure caffeine, glucose goes up a little bit. The opposite happens with chronic coffee intake. There's a fairly good evidence that chronic coffee intake will actually decrease the risk of type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the effect isn't going to be as much as, say, body weight, which is the strongest controllable risk factor for type 2 diabetes, but it is mm-hmm. real. Um, and it decreases chronic coffee intake, decreases the risk of impaired glucose tolerance. So there are different effects short-term versus long-term of caffeine and coffee on glucose metabolism. It may be that some of the other components in coffee counteract the balance or the effect of caffeine. And the other effect is people may develop tolerance to it. So there's fairly good data that long-term consumption of both caffeinated and decaffeinated coffee. That was my question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Both of them will lower the risk of diabetes in a dose-dependent manner up to six cups a day. Now, I'm not necessarily recommending that. that, (laughs) uh, And again, the side effects should probably be uh, determine how much coffee someone drinks. But in someone who's not having side effects, uh, you'll see this effect up to quite a few cups a day, both men and women, caffeinated and decaffeinated. And it's it's pretty consistent in meta-analyses. Well, it was exciting to hear too that the, the whole idea of coffee consumption may reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes in women who have had gestational diabetes. Yes. Yep. Very good point. Mm-hmm. And you know what, what brought me to the idea to have you come on and talk about coffee, probably about two years ago, I could be wrong. I remember seeing an article just pop up on my newsfeed about the possibility that drinking coffee can decrease the risk of Alzheimer's. And then I saw an article about type two diabetes and it may help preserve kidney function in type two diabetes. So it's, it's wonderful. And it's great that we have you to help sort of sift through all the tangents here because it's interesting that the caffeinated and decaffeinated may or may not have different effects. So how about Parkinson's disease? Parkinson's disease is interesting. Now there the effect seems to, it's different than type 2 diabetes. Caffeine seems to be the main protector there as opposed to the other components in coffee. The other interesting thing is there seems to be a gender difference. The effect may be stronger in men than women. So coffee, uh, and specifically caffeine, does seem to protect against Parkinson's disease uh, in a little bit different manner than with uh, type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. Alzheimer's, maybe we don't have as much evidence? Very, that's exactly right. With all these different conditions, there are uh, different probably components that affect the risk, and the risk may vary among conditions. Some are stronger than others. Uh, some with caffeinated co- with the caffeine in the coffee, others with the other components. There has been some data on caffeine uh, or coffee and cognition. It increases alertness, uh, uh, decreases reaction time, some positive effects on cognitive performance. So everybody's aware of they feel a little bit of the, the stimulation from caffeine and may be able to perform better short term. Long term on dementia, there, it's controversial whether it affects mm-hmm. it or not, and even less data on specifically on uh, Alzheimer's disease. Another related uh, effect on cognition is there does seem to be a decreased risk of uh, depression, improved mood and decreased risk of depression. Uh, I'm not sure how much to put stock in this, but there have been a couple studies that say it decreases the risk of suicide consistent mm-hmm. with the effect on depression. So uh, in terms of performance uh, and cognition, it has an effect. On the flip side, though, people who drink too much caffeine 
can have the side effect of anxiety. And anybody who has done that knows that you can get jittery and, and people who have a tendency toward anxiety may be affected more. So it has variable effects on cognition and, and uh, our mind. Well, it brings to mind, I just gave a lecture this morning at my alma mater to the physiology students at St. Joseph's University. And I said to the students, you know, when we were talking about uh, disease conditions and uh, reflux and um, irritable bowel and things that could be influenced by the things we're discussing now, caffeine, fatty foods, etc. And I said, I was very happy that at St. Joseph's, we had to take uh, it was mandatory to take three philosophy and three theology courses because in philosophy, all the great philosophers say nothing to excess, know thyself and nothing to excess It's right there. A little coffee, but you know, six cups a day probably is going to make you um, a jumping bean. Um, <laughs> so while we're on the uh, neuropathology and is there a protective effect, as you mentioned with cognition, it makes us more alert the, the idea that it could help decrease the risk of depression at a time when at that is just rising and, and frightening numbers, that, that's really helpful to know. Headaches always fascinated me because if you wake up in the morning and you want that, if you didn't get enough sleep, or even if you did get enough sleep, that feeling, that perk is like, okay, I just put my glasses on. It has um, a real pick-me-up feeling. But again, nothing to excess. Sometimes it can cause headaches. I mean, we use it for... Uh, um, we mix caffeine, I think, right, in some um, analgesics for headaches, like aspirin and caffeine or Tylenol caffeine. Let's talk about that a little if we could. Yeah, caffeine uh, seems to pot potentiate the effect of different analgesics. And that's exactly what you said. We, we do mix that. On headaches, it's interesting. Uh, caffeine is mildly addictive. Um, and what I see sometimes in my practice is people who consume a lot of caffeine during the week, but then on the weekends, they may change their habits mm. and they have the weekend headaches. And what Good point. is actually happening is they're going through some withdrawal symptoms by not drinking uh, coffee on the weekend. So the moral of the story, as you said, is drink it in moderation. But if you do consume it, it's probably best to consume around the same amount every day so you don't go through that withdrawal with, uh, with decreased consumption on some days. And see, something that simple, Don, is so helpful to people. And, and you're in preventive medicine. People come to you and say, can you just walk through head to toe, what I can do to make, I, I'm not unhealthy, I don't have any specific diseases, but what can I do to make myself better? What can I do to maximize my best self, my my, my healthiest self? And this, this is terrific. So we, we talked about headaches and cognition and, and dementia related neurologic. What about liver disease? I know that the genotype you mentioned, the CYP1A2, that sounds so Star Wars-y, um, <laughs> it really can make a difference in how a person metabolizes caffeine. That is metabolized in the liver. So it's kind of cool to think that it might be beneficial here. Let's talk about liver disease. Yeah, and that's another condition similar to type 2 diabetes where the evidence appears to be pretty consistent and pretty uh, definite that uh, coffee does decrease the risk of abnormal liver function tests, at least um, uh, in a minor way. It decreases the risk of cirrhosis and chronic liver disease and also even liver cancer, hepatocellular carcinoma. So it may uh, be greatest, this effect, in people with a history of liver disease. And the mechanism isn't exactly clear. It may be due to some of the other components in uh, 
in, in coffee, but it does seem to have a fairly consistent effect on, on uh, liver disease. Mm-hmm. How about cardiac disease and risk of heart attack and stroke? I know if it, if it raises your uh, catecholamines, it can raise your blood pressure a little bit acutely, but there might be some benefit in a different direction. Yeah, you're exactly right. Similar to the effect on glucose metabolism, acute consumption of coffee will in because of the of caffeinated coffee will increase blood pressure fairly consistently, but tolerance seems to develop. And long term, we wrote a uh, a review article on this, a meta analysis some years ago. Long term consumption of caffeinated coffee does not seem to uh, increase blood pressure or increase the risk of developing hypertension because of this tolerance that develops. And again, that may be re- partially related to genetic metabolism as well. Mm-hmm. well. The other effect too is coffee. The other components in coffee uh, may you know, counteract some of the effect of the acute effect of caffeine as we've talked about. And do you think that if it makes you feel more lively, I don't know, more spirited that you're going to it's going to increase your physical activity. Maybe that in general helps to control sugars, sugar levels and uh, decrease your risk for heart disease. I mean, that's a stretch, but I'm yeah, sure it's a, a, one of the components. It's possible. Um, studies mm-hmm. have shown that in physiologic performance, caffeine will increase endurance, the time, uh, increase the performance of endurance exercises. And in fact, there are limits of caffeine intake by some of the major governing bodies, the uh, International Olympic Committee, uh, even the NCAA uh, has limits on how much caffeine because it it will increase performance. Regarding heart disease, it's interesting. We used to think that it probably increased the risk of heart disease. Now studies show that overall, and it's not entirely clear, but overall it does seem to decrease the risk of cardiovascular disease, coronary artery disease uh, and stroke, and even cardiac arrhythmias, uh, serious cardiac arrhythmias like atrial fibrillation, there doesn't seem to be all that much relationship. Now, it may increase the risk of benign palpitations, but not serious arrhythmias. Probably the most impressive thing is mortality. There are a whole bunch of studies, uh, very large studies. A lot of them, of course, these are population studies. You can't prove cause and effect. But Hmm. there's an association between coffee intake and decreased overall mortality. And, of course, that's the strongest uh, uh, endpoint that there is. Uh, And that's that's fascinating. And you mentioned two important things. Number one, I have patients who say, I have a history of atrial fibrillation. I will not drink caffeine. So the caffeine or the coffee probably will not put them into AFib. They might feel some palpitations, but it doesn't necessarily put them into the irregular area. yeah. Having said that, I still think it's prudent for people to um, moderate their intake sure, uh, sure. with something like that. Cancer, that seems to be the other big uh, area of fascination because um, we're seeing decreased risk or apparently or maybe a decreased risk in certain cancers, increased risk in others. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Uh, liver cancer, we've talked about that. Endometrial cancer, there's pretty good data. Oral cancer, even melanoma and skin cancer and pancreas cancer. We used to think that coffee increased the risk of pancreas cancer. Right. Those were from old studies that were confounded by tobacco intake. Uh, it was actually the, maybe the tobacco that was responsible. Right. But, coffee um, and cigarettes. Decrease. Mm-hmm. Increased risk, interestingly, in 
women who consume a lot of caffeine during pregnancy, their offspring seem to have an increased risk of childhood acute leukemia for mechanisms I'm, I'm not sure about. And there's controversy about stomach cancer. Caffeine does increase gastric acid. Uh, so there might be an increase there. It isn't entirely clear. Interesting. I know I have to tell my patients that esophageal cancer is on the rise and caffeine can cause, can promote reflux, reflux acid, it's, it's not friendly to the lining of the esophagus and increases the risk for. So again, everything in moderation. Well, we have a quick minute. What about bone effect on our bones? Because we worry about bone density. Um, any connection there? Yes, there is. Caffeine will decrease, uh, uh, increase calcium clearance in the urine. The important thing is that can be offset by an increase in, in calcium intake. So yes, it does seem to decrease uh, calcium uh, re retention in the body, but just make sure and get adequate dietary calcium. Mm -hmm. But tea seems to be associated with a higher bone density. A exactly. And so what's the, you know, that's probably due to some other uh, components in the tea, but there is an opposite effect, which is, is really fascinating. I, I mean, you think about it, you never saw Queen Elizabeth in a cast. <laughs> Okay, she did the, She did everything right. She was just beautiful. And let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Don Hensrud from Mayo Clinic. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Hi, I'm Sarah Rivera, Director of Nursing from Recovery Centers of America, one of your addiction experts from RCA. Today, I'm here to talk to you about Narcan. Narcan is a medication used as an antidote for overdose. An overdose occurs when a patient or individual takes an opioid in excess. Opioids impact the respiratory system, decreasing the rate and depth of breathing. The breath will become shallow or they stop breathing altogether. This is called an overdose. Some of the signs and symptoms of an overdose are unresponsive to loud sound, being shaken or a sternal rub. The breathing is irregular and shallow, may even slow or stop. Skin will become gray or purple. Nail beds will become white. The pupils will become pinpoint. The body will become limp. Breathing will become gurgly. The patient may snore or you may hear some choking. Skin will become cold, clammy, or diaphoretic. Regardless of if you are aware if the patient has overdosed or not, Narcan can be used. It comes intranasally in a name brand generally called Narcan. You can get this over-the-counter at the pharmacy in prescription or non-prescription form. When in doubt, it is safer to give Narcan. There are limited side effects. The benefits outweigh the risk of not giving Narcan. If the patient has a pulse and is not breathing or vice versa, it is okay to still administer Narcan. Every three minutes, you may give another dose as it is estimated that it takes EMTs seven to eight minutes to arrive on site. However, brain damage begins at four minutes. Risk factors for overdose include a new dealer not using for a period of time, new city residential location, new route of administration, medical conditions, age of the individual, combining it with other drugs, and using heroin that contains unknown and dangerous substances such as fentanyl. As you begin 2023 and look for a fresh start, reach out to Recovery Centers of America if you or one of your loved ones need help with alcohol or drugs. 
call 1-877-938-0618 or visit recoverycentersofamerica.com backslash Devin. We answer the phone and admit patients 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When you have orthopedic issues, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes orthopedics. You need an exceptionally specialized Rothman Orthopedics physician. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. That's RothmanOrtho.com. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like when it comes to diseases, can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. And welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. Dr. Don Henshaw, we're learning so much about coffee and caffeine and the possible beneficial effects. <clears throat> I was interested because we talked about the energy that we get from drinking caffeinated beverages and it does seem as though it can increase our meta- metabolic rate for up to 24 hours. But don't think, my dear listeners, don't think that that's used as a means of weight loss, right? That's right. Studies have shown that, and people have added caffeine to various um, other substances, other medications, and it does seem to increase, as you pointed out, metabolic rate a little bit. It's an ergogenic aid. It, as we talked about, it decreases the time to exhaustion and endurance exercises. But population studies suggest that long-term consumption doesn't influence weight that much, uh, very minor, less than a pound perhaps over years. And adding it to other substances doesn't seem to, it might increase the weight loss very, very little, not clinically significant amounts. Mm-hmm. And I think people have to remember when they get coffee, it's coffee that's black, or are you adding half and half? Are you adding skim milk? Are you adding whipping cream and getting the cafe latte, wata, wata at the coffee shop that's four, 300 calories? I don't know. So um, obviously uh, there, are, there are metrics that we have to pay attention to. That's exactly right. If I could comment, uh, some of yes, the, some of the uh, flavored coffee drinks in the past have been up to 700 calories per day. Oh, gee. That's, I would uh, guess four or five. I didn't know 700. Yeah, That's and they, scary. They made an effort to lower them a little bit, but still it can be a significant contributor to overall calorie intake. So people should be aware of that. Yeah, absolutely. So we have time. I want to talk about the other health effects. You have a beautiful outline um, when you gave your lectures. Let's talk about um, how it can affect asthma and other areas of health. Yeah. The caffeine itself in coffee may have a beneficial effect uh, on asthma. 
Uh, I don't know if people who have asthma have noticed this. I wouldn't use it specifically as a medication. It may not be reliable. You need your inhalers and things like that, but it, it may reduce asthma symptoms a little bit. Also, it decreases gallstone formation um, and perhaps kidney stones as well. And there may be, again, numerous reasons for this. Kidney stones, it might be the overall fluid intake, uh, other mechanisms with gallstone. It does not seem to be related to fibrocystic breast changes. Uh, that's been in the literature before, but yes. it doesn't seem to be a big relationship. Good to Flu hear. Fluid is, in is interesting, too, in that it's gotten a reputation of being dehydrating. The body is pretty smart, and the Institute of Medicine reviewed the effect of fluids uh, on overall fluid balance some years ago and fluid intake. And at modest intakes, it doesn't seem to influence that that much. At very, very large intakes, it may have a dehydrating effect. But if the body's low on fluids, it'll t retain some of the fluid from coffee uh, to, to restore fluid balance. Mm -hmm. It does have an effect on minerals. We talked about calcium earlier. It may decrease the absorption as well as increase calcium loss. Uh, it also may decrease other uh, minerals such as iron and zinc. So people should be aware of that. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, cal uh, calcium intake can offset that loss. Mm -hmm. Doesn't seem to have a huge effect on bone density or hip fracture, but there may be a small uh, effect because of the effect on calcium metabolism if women don't have, women in particular because they're more prone to it, if they don't have an increased calcium intake. Mm -hmm. Don, we talked about ballpark maximum 400 milligrams a day in adults. What about children and adolescents? I'm sure the data is a little more limited, but they're drinking caffeine and we're seeing adolescents and teens with the energy drinks and the energy shots. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Uh, that's a really good point. Children need other nutrients uh, that caffeine and coffee don't provide. They may be more sensitive to the effects. If they're drinking coffee, a caffeinated coffee in particular, they're not drinking something else that would be mm. more beneficial, such mm -hmm. as, as milk. And as kids are increasing their bone density, it's important that children as they're growing develop good bone density because if you can have a good peak bone density at a young age, then you may be more likely to develop osteopenia or osteoporosis in later years. So, uh, and the energy drinks are, are uh, uh, again, even double the negative effects, uh, especially when people, young people mix them with alcohol. Mm. There may be multiple effects there. There are cases of toxicity from uh, energy drinks, especially when mixed with alcohol. If people don't do it all the time, or if they have more caffeine in an energy drink, they may have more of an effect from that. They may have a false level of alertness where they're oh. still intoxicated. Good it point. does not decrease the ability to drive while intoxicated. People Oof. may feel that they can drive better. It is not true. So uh, the mixing energy drinks with alcohol can be extremely uh, uh, challenging to, for uh, toxicity. And I think that's a point worth repeating that, that young people think, I'm going to get sleepy from the drinking of alcohol. So if I add the caffeine, I'll be able to drive. Absolutely no. That's that's such an important take home message. Um, yep. Because the toxicity, <clears throat> excuse me, can, can there are cases where uh, if a person's consumed closer to 500 plus milligrams and they're there are about 200 milligrams in a shot, yes? An energy shot, 200 milligrams? Yes, that's exactly right. Plus, the toxicity can lead to atrial fibrillation and even seizures in a healthy young person. Not not good. 
Um, yep. So we have to look too. I guess caffeine can be in over-the-counter um, dietary supplements and uh, that are promoted for workout and weight loss. Oh gosh. Another um, another related to that is caffeine powder. Uh, oh right. That some people will take caffeine powder to again for an ergogenic aid for to help with their workouts. There was a case uh, within the past year of a trainer who calculated the wrong dose of caffeine powder and died. Oh, oh. And there are other examples of that too. Oh. So coffee, uh, caffeine in coffee is one thing, but when we start putting things into supplements, uh, there can be uh, all kinds of untoward effects and uh, with an increased concentration and uh, lack of regulation over the dose, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I guess my last question related to caffeine is, does it interact with the absorption or metabolism of any drugs that our listeners should know about? Like common antibiotics, et cetera. Point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent point. It because it caffeine is metabolized on a uh, genetic basis. If people have the C, how much of the CYP one A two gene they have, that's the same enzyme that metabolizes many uh, drugs. And there's about forty drugs. I don't have time to go into all of them, but people can look online, uh, get a list. There's about forty drugs that have a moderate uh, interaction with caffeine and, and coffee. So in most cases with coffee, it probably isn't a, a huge effect, but people should be aware of it if they're consuming large amounts or if they're consuming it in mm -hmm. concentrated form. So last but not least, I call today's show cocktails or coffee. And I thought about dry January. That's why I was so excited to have you as a guest before the month is over. Let's talk about dry January. What do you think about that? You're a preventive medicine um, physician, master of. And um, I'd love to hear what you think about dry January. I think it's a great idea. Um, first of all, the guidelines for alcohol consumption are currently, on average, no more than one drink a day for women, two for men. There has been a recent analysis, a couple of large studies, international uh, studies, that have re-examined this. And they've come to a little bit different conclusion. One is there doesn't seem to be as much of a gender difference as what we once thought. Uh, it used to be that felt that women are more susceptible because they have less of an enzyme that metabolizes alcohol, gastric alcohol, dehydrogenase, and they weigh less. Well, that gender difference doesn't seem to be as strong as what we thought. The other thing that people found in these two very large analyses that is that the optimum amount of alcohol for somebody less than 50 in terms of overall health effects is probably zero. There may be some benefit, modest benefit in people over the age of 50 who have risk factors for heart disease, but again, no more than on average, one drink a day for men and women. So I think in the future, we're going to be hearing uh, more and more about this. Dry January to me is a good idea because sometimes when people are consuming something regularly, they don't even notice the effect. Yes. And I've talked to many of my patients who say that uh, once I, you know, I stopped for a little while, boy, what a difference in how I felt, how I slept. People who consume alcohol may fall asleep quicker, but the, the uh, type of sleep isn't as good later on. And so when, when people stop that for a while, they really can see the effect and some effects you don't realize either, the long-term negative health effects of alcohol. Both for coffee and for alcohol, if somebody doesn't drink these substances, there are no guidelines to start. And uh, particularly with alcohol, I think that's a good one. Another way to look at this is nobody intends on having a problem with alcohol. I mean, mm. that, that isn't a goal. 
alcohol consumption can be relaxing, but it really needs to be uh, viewed in moderation because it can turn into a habit over time. I've seen this in some of my patients and habits can sneak up and bite you. So I think overall, uh, it's very good to be thoughtful in this, uh, in this whole area. Well, and I think with the pandemic, everybody's habits have changed, not necessarily with alcohol, but sleep or how they approach work, how they budget their time. And we've seen a rise, let's be honest, of people uh, reaching for alcohol because of the, the unsettled feeling that we all are experiencing. Um, and to abstain for a month is, is it's kind of a great time to reflect on all of your habits, how much alcohol, um, what am I doing with exercise? What am I doing with sleeping and eating and exercising and all those things that we really should uh, reassess, not because it's January, but the holidays are over. We're excited to be together and celebrate and, and the things that we say on a year to year basis, but now more than ever, we have the information. And as you say, how does this influence, um, well, my sleep, but also it might be a way to save calories. It might be a way to save money. Um, and, uh, it's good for, not just for people who, who have an alcohol use disorder. It's good for, as you say, these new recommendations are really sobering. And I'm not being funny. It is really interesting to know. I think people need to remember one can of beer equals five ounces of wine equals 1.5 ounces of uh, hard alcohol, I guess you'd say. Because a lot of people, especially young people, think, well, five or six beers, if I only have one an hour, that we justify intake. And it's not so innocent. You're exactly right. And some of the craft beers may have twice the alcohol content mm. of traditional beers. So that's another wild card in there. Yeah. And I just, uh, I worry because, um, I mean, that's always been the, the case that young, healthy people are invincible and they say, oh, I can sit in the sun. I'm not going to get skin cancer, but we, we get older quickly. And uh, it's important to hear these metrics. Let's take a little bit of a break and we'll be back with our wrap up with Dr. Don Hensrud from the Mayo Clinic. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When you have joint pain, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes joints. Someone so focused on their specialty, they've written the book on it, literally. You need an exceptionally specialized physician from Rothman Orthopedics. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past the pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. Official orthopedic partner of the Eagles, Phillies, and Sixers. Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. And we're in our final segment of Your Radio Doctor called Your Weekly Prescription, brought to you by Genentech. Dr. Don Hensrud, what a joy it has been to learn about the value of coffee and, and the benefits. We know that there are some health benefits or effects and would like in the end here to 
just re- re- run through them again, the benefits and maybe some of the side effects of drinking coffee and caffeine. Yeah. First of all, Marianne, I want to thank you for having me on. You're doing a wonderful service uh, with all the different topics that you present. Um, one of the things that I hear from my patients and many people probably hear is they come in and they say, doc, I'm drinking too much coffee. And I'll say, why? Well, it's not good for you. Well, as we've heard, that isn't entirely true, but I like to separate it out in the health effects versus the side effects. We've already heard that coffee or caffeine will decrease the risk of type 2 diabetes, liver disease and liver cancer, possibly Parkinson's disease, improve mood, decreased risk of depression, gallstones and kidney stones, protective effect on many cancers, and reducing the risk of overall mortality. The one negative health effect is uh, miscarriage and childhood acute leukemia from women who consume too much coffee during pregnancy. And the amount during pregnancy should be less than 200 milligrams a day. Uh, That's two cups of coffee, but remember we get caffeine from other things too. The overall intake should be in general less than 400 milligrams a day. If somebody has side effects, however, that should limit consumption. And as we talked about, people metabolize caffeine on an enzymatic genetic basis. So some people are fast metabolizers. They may be less affected by the side effects. Other people are slow metabolizers. So this really is an individual thing. If somebody has insomnia, anxiety, gastroesophageal reflux disease, or other GI upsets, uh, upset from, from coffee, urinary symptoms, particularly in people who are predisposed, such as men as they age, or palpitations, then they should probably cut down on their coffee consumption. That should be the, the main issue. If you don't drink and don't like it, don't do it for the health effects. Um, there's no guidelines for that. Uh, and if you do drink it, just watch what else you put in it too that can increase the overall calorie intake. So if you enjoy your Java and don't have side effects, good for you. Uh, there are many different types out there, many different ways of consuming it. And I hope people uh, who do consume it enjoy it in moderation. And I think it's important what you said too about dry January. It's an opportunity to reassess yourself head to toe. Yes, it, it absolutely is. Absolutely. And instead of making New Year's resolutions that aren't sustainable, I mean, I work out for two hours a day. Well, that isn't going to happen. So try and look at your overall health effects, have some attainable New Year's resolutions. And this might be one of them with alcohols too. Stop for a while. If if it's a problem stopping alcohol, yes. then by definition, that's a problem. And so stopping for a little while in dry January can help people take a look at their assessment of alcohol intake and their overall health with yes. other health behaviors. And we too. want to reemphasize that the maximum intake of alcohol is for over age 50. Uh, probably one on average, one drink a day. Now the guidelines haven't changed. You will see them change in the Mm -hmm. future. So one drink a day for men and women, we were saying for a while, two for men, one for women, but that genetic or a hormonal influence or size of women versus men probably isn't the protective effect for men that, that we thought. Um, and for under age 50, now there's a, a thinking that maybe no alcohol. Yeah. If you really want to maintain your health to the fullest, that's Mm -hmm. probably the best advice. You know, I have visited many websites, but the Mayo Clinic website is superb. And um, if people want to visit to learn more about preventive medicine and some of the topics we covered with coffee and caffeine today, the website is mayoclinic.org. 
That's exactly right. Uh, one of the things we uh, try and do is provide credible and accurate information about overall health for the general public. Well, Dr. Don Hensworth, I would love to have you back another time because we have miles to go before we sleep. There are so many helpful and interesting areas to discuss and you really brought a lot of light and uh, taught us really valuable information today. So I thank you for that. Thank you very much, Marianne. Now, your real champion, presented by the Rothman Orthopedic Institute. And now for your real champion. I call this segment, Cheers. Here's to dry January every month of the year. In recent years, dry January has become a worldwide trend taking the month to abstain after the holiday gatherings with socializing that involved eating and drinking more than usual. Now add the pandemic when we saw an increased intake of alcohol, often related to stress. Abstaining for a month, even for those who don't abuse alcohol, might be a good time to reflect. How much do I drink? Cutting back might save money, calories, and help you sleep better. It's also a good time to reflect on all of your habits eating, drinking, vaping, sleeping, exercising, and develop new coping skills, especially if you realize you are starting to depend on that glass of wine to unwind. Robert and Arielle Ashford took the concept a step further. Why not have a bar, restaurant, where people can come together and socialize, have great food, and raise a toast with zero-proof libations? In March of 2022, the couple opened the Volstead Bar by Unity in Maniunk. When you visit their website, volsteadzeroproof.com, that's V-O-L-S-T-E-A-D, you'll learn about their story. The Volstead is a 100% vegan, full-service restaurant that employs people in recovery and people returning from incarceration. For Robert and Ariel, it's a social mission. They are both celebrating more than a decade in recovery, and they're providing a space that welcomes and embraces others who are starting over. Think about it. When someone has been in recovery treatment or been incarcerated, they're asked to go back into the mainstream and begin to live again. Imagine how hard it must be to find work. Find an employer to give you the chance to work hard, a chance to shine. Well, Robert is actually a recovery scientist focused on substance use and recovery communities, support services, and other interventions for behavioral health disorders. He and his wife, Arielle, each have a master's degree in social work, and Robert is currently pursuing a PhD in health policy. In fact, it was at a national event focused on recovery in Washington, D.C., where his star crossed with Arielle's. Now, how many of you can say you met your life partner at the White House? Robert has been recognized with many prestigious awards. He works with national government organizations, and he serves on the Philadelphia Mayor's Task Force to combat the opioid epidemic. So now you have a better understanding of their mission. The Volstead is only one of their Unity concepts. Unity Recovery is an RCO, Recovery Community Organization, with peer-to-peer based recovery support services. There's also Unity Yoga, the Unity Taqueria, and coming soon, a coffee shop called Unity Java. They want to make a difference in their community. They hire individuals who identify as in recovery or returning from incarceration, then pay them a living wage and focus on long-term skills development to help them reach their goals. Then they donate a portion of the profits back into community-based recovery supports and re-entry services to help build the world we hope to live in. 
To date, they've hired and supported over 100 individuals. The appeal of a zero-proof bar? Well, for everyone, whether in recovery, pregnant or nursing, super curious, running a marathon the next day, or just focusing on their health, everyone can enjoy nightlife and a social atmosphere with great food and non-alcoholic beer, wine, and delicious craft cocktails, not just a Shirley Temple or a Roy Rogers, and as a bonus, no hangover the next morning. You have to admire their four-prong approach, which considers sustainability, with 100% vegan plates that promote the ecosystem, wellness, a chance for a great evening with cocktails that leave you feeling great the next day, community, they pay a living wage to those in recovery and returning from incarceration, and the social investment, investing in their neighbors. Earlier this week, I spoke to Trisha Vasinda, Director of Operations for the Volstead and the Unity Taqueria. The Volstead has seating for up to 60 people, depending on table arrangements, and they were sold out for every weekend in January and several weeknights. Earlier today, we heard from a national expert from the Mayo Clinic who reminded us that consuming more alcohol than is recommended increases your risk for many diseases. And the American Cancer Society tells us more than one serving per day for women and more than two a day for men increases risk for multiple cancers. So hats off to the Volstead, the first zero-proof bar in our Philly region. Website, volsteadzeroproof.com. We salute you, Robert and Ariel Ashford, your real champions. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen to this show again and all of our shows on odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. Please follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Email us at info at yourradiodoctor.net with a real champion from your family, workplace, or community. Suggest a topic you'd like to learn about. Next week, we open February, Heart Month, with a fantastic guest, Dr. Paul Mather from the Hospital of the University of Penn to discuss heart failure and heart transplants. Remember, drinking alcohol in quantities more than one serving a day for women or two servings a day for men can increase your risk for a lot of diseases, including multiple cancers. Visit the website of upliftingathletes.org, their big event on February 4. Uplifting athletes using the power of sport to impact lives of those with rare diseases. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a super happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love. Always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. 